You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From the Washington Nationals, Juan Soto! There's another homer for Soto. Does the job as he advances and eliminates Jose Ramirez. Yeah, that's a great start for Julio Rodriguez. Julio Rodriguez, secrets out for all the National League pitchers that have been witnessing this right now. And Juan Soto got hot late. He needs four in a minute. He keeps going. He's down on the knee. He's got it. Fattest flip sky high. And Juan Soto is your 2022 Welcome to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardians beat reporter for MLB.com and the wonderful Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. Sarah and I are currently in Los Angeles. We have just finished up some coverage for uh, the All-Star break and we have so much to get into. I mean, I think our excitement always comes through about baseball and these things, but uh, Sarah, after this week, I think it's taken to a whole new level. It is on an entirely new level. As you said, I love the Home Run Derby. I always tell people it is my favorite day of the year, non-birthday edition. <laughs> I don't remember if we got into birthdays. I think we did in episode one. But in case anyone missed that, big birthday fan, maybe bigger derby fan in a way. So we're going to recap that. We're going to talk about the home run derby winner, Juan Soto, talk about some stats about why he is going to have a next level second half, and then something else I'm really excited for us to do is bring you guys behind the scenes to how we saw the home run derby and the all-star game. I think a lot of times you get to see what reporters produce, the content that they come up with. Okay, we got this quote from Clayton Kershaw. We wrote this story. But we, what we really want to share with you all is the inside of that, how we get to that point, and what we saw from our vantage points. Yeah, and uh, I think we had plenty of different vantage points throughout the week, so I think we can uh, be able to dive into that a little bit more. I, I, I mean, obviously, we can get straight into all of the derby fun. That was the first thing that... Uh, we at least attended this week, and uh, it was quite an in- enjoyable derby. I think it was very fun to have Pujols at least make it through a round. I think that was really neat. There were so many different fun things about it, but I think by the end of it, all of Twitter had collectively agreed that this was the Sarah Derby. Um, and if you don't know why, I don't think you've listened to our first two episodes. Um, there's really, I think nobody in the game who excites Sarah the same way as Juan Soto and now Julio Rodriguez. And then you put them both in the fin- uh, finale of the Home Run Derby and we have the Sarah Derby. So um, I think you got plenty of text messages telling you to make sure your heart doesn't stop from excitement and reminding you to breathe. Um, I know I've been plenty of them. So uh, yeah, it was uh, it was quite an enjoyable time to take back and or sit back and take in the Sarah Derby. I'm sure it was fun for you. Uh, maybe times 
a billion. <laughs> Times a billion sounds about right. Maybe a low ball, but it was incredible. And I love that those two players were our finalists because they show how bright the future of this game is. When Juan Soto won and he was speaking to Bus Rolney on the field, he referred to Julio as a great kid. <laughs> Juan Soto is 23. Julio Rodriguez is 21. The fact that Soto is the elder statesman calling him a great kid just tells you what a great spot this game is in right now. And even though Julio lost, he put on outstanding show. He had 81 homers, his first homer of the night. Okay, so his first swing, he swung and missed, which does not happen all that often in the Derby. <laughs> and somehow that was kind of his swimming to third base moment for this yes. Derby, where he shook it off, he kept going. First homer of the night on maybe the next swing or swing after that, 463 feet. So he got into it very quickly. And Soto, it was great to see him, a returning star to the Derby, winning the second time he participated. He had an outstanding back and forth with Shohei Otani in the first round last year and then lost in the second round to Pete Alonso. I think he got gas from the swing off with Otani this year. He was ready. He was there. And, you know, we would be remiss if we didn't mention that there are obviously some other storylines going on around Juan Soto right now. There was a report that the Nationals might be looking to trade him. There was a contract that may have been turned down. All of this reporting. And for him to come out and just show what he's so good at and how important a player he is for the game, I just think that is the best statement you can make in the face of all of this. And it was really great to see him do that, rising above that noise. I mean, you have to think that he knew what he was about to walk into. Yes. Um, you can't have that type of news and then go to the national stage that is the all-star break and not expect that to be the focus. Um, the way that he handled that was really fun. It was really impressive. Um, could not have been easy, but he put on a great show. Julio Rodriguez put on a heck of a show throughout the first two rounds. My goodness, having, what was it, like over 60 home runs in the first two rounds. That was so much fun to watch. Um, you had a couple of different guys who just sort of quietly were there. Um, it was fun. It was fun to see Pujols, like I said, upset Schwarber, who was the number one seed going into this. That was enjoyable. It was enjoyable to see Pujols have his moment um, where everyone's recognizing him for the greatness that he has brought to the game um, for so many years. So that was really, really neat. I'm still perplexed about Jose Ramirez choosing to hit right-handed. I, I'm sure he thought that was the better approach for that ballpark, um, but I still, I will not understand it. I don't think I can ever understand it just because all of his home runs come from the left side. Um, there was a whole mix of, of, of different storylines in there, but there are thousands of stats. I swear it seems like thousands of stats that have come out of, uh, that came out of Monday night. Well, one that I want to make sure we mention is that Soto was the second youngest home run derby winner ever. And I was looking <laughs> into this. I get ready. We'll get more into my prep for the derby later. 
But as I was looking into it, I'm calculating, okay, what's his exact age the day of the Derby? Okay, Juan Soto will be, and then was, 23 years and 266 days old the day of the Derby. So I go and I look at the youngest home run derby winners, and I find that Juan Gonzalez in 1993 was 23 years and 265 days old. Oh my god. So Juan Soto it was the second youngest derby winner by literally a day. 24 hours? Yeah. Oh my if All Star Week was earlier, if All Star Week was a day, but whatever it was, he would have been the youngest. So I just thought that was really funny. And another thing that he did that he had a little more control over than his age was for the second year in a row, he had the longest home run in the Derby. So last year he hit a 520-foot homer in course with the humidor off, of course. But it was a titanic shot. That was the longest uh, home run derby homer that we've had tracked uh, by Stackhouse, which goes back to 2016 with the derby. Mm. This year, Dodger Stadium, we're not at elevation like that. Slightly different, but he went 482 Mm -hmm. in the first round. That was the longest homer of the Derby. So pretty cool for him to hold both of those. And I know he was talking to reporters before, uh, towards the end of the first half, saying that he wanted the longest oppo homer. And he did go oppo a decent amount. We don't have a record for longest oppo home run in the Derby. I tried really hard to do it manually <laughs> because we don't track that. I watched a lot of home run Derby homers. And I think the record was like 427, but regardless, he went up a lot, which if you watch the Derby, not a lot of people hit to the opposite field in the Derby. Mm -hmm. Acuna did it a bit, but it's fun to see. I think he prides himself on that being harder, especially in this setting or not just taking the easy way of pulling the ball. Correct. And I, I mean, like you said, he, he did it plenty of times, showed the ridiculous strength that he has. Um, there was a couple guys, like you said, who had who did it. And I remember thinking, my gosh, they just sort of swatted at it. And that's somehow going to get over the fence. Um, it was it was enjoyable. It was as, as enjoyable to watch him as it was to watch Julio Rodriguez. I know that the spotlight is on Juan Soto for taking home the title. I get it. But I... I, my jaw was like on the ground the entire time watching Julio. Um, those first two rounds were some of the most impressive t- chunks of entertainment that I have ever sat down and watched. Um, I don't know what I was expecting. I was expecting him to put on some sort of a show because I, it sort of seemed like the stage was set for that. Um, you have this young kid who's taken over the game in a way and has been a blast to watch. It just seemed like it was going to map out this way, but... I don't think anyone could have projected two 30-plus round homer, or homer rounds, I should probably say. No one had done that. I mean, we've had a lot of changes to the Derby format in recent years, but which have made it a little easier to be able to hit 30 home runs. But regardless, there had been just four 30 homer rounds total in Derby history. And then J-Rod came out and did it in his first two rounds. He's the only guy to have two 
30 home rounds in a career, in a derby, whatever you want to say. And it's interesting because, you know, there's analysis for the derby. I love it. I mean, it's an exhibition, but people go out there and say, this is a good way to win. This is what you should be doing. And a lot of people are thinking that his lack of experience might hurt him. That guys like Schwarber and Soto and Pools, that everyone in the Derby other than him and Jose Ramirez had competed at least once. And that that was going to help them. But Julio Rodriguez is different. He really is. Just like Juan Soto was different last year in mm-hmm. his first Derby. But that didn't matter at all. Again, the swing and miss to start, which is an amazing way to start a derby career. And then he was off. I, You know, this was to put him on the national stage. I'm sure that is why he agreed to do it. And I really think it accomplished it. Because one of my favorite things every year at the All-Star Game is that whoever put on the best show at the derby gets a really good ovation during the warm-ups. And Soto got, you know, they announce him, your home run derby champion, and he got claps. But I think Julio got louder claps, and he may have gotten the loudest non-Dodger, so non-hometown reaction. And that is a testament to what he did the night before and the fact that baseball fans were paying attention. Oh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. he He got a nice little roar, which was really neat. Um, I think it was just, I think it was just like the perfect lineup. I think I've told you this like 12 times already this week after this, but it was a really great mix. You had a legend in pool holes. You had the next wave of exciting talent. We've already seen Juan Soto for some time, but, um, you have Julio Rodriguez in there. I think it was just like the perfect mix of everything that baseball needed in that moment. I thought it was a great show. I thought it was an entertaining show. Um, and the man who took the title now has 8,000 things probably to think about and worry about being asked about and now has so much to focus on heading into the second half of the year. But I know that you've written about this at length going into the Derby uh, of how maybe this can get him back on the right track for the second half of the season. And, well, he sort of started off on a decent note to be able to do that. Absolutely. So, first of all, my favorite thing about Juan Soto is that people talk about, okay, he's off to not the best start. He has, like, a 160 OPS plus around there, which means he is about 60% better than league average offensively, and yet people are like, what's wrong with him? (laughs) They look at his batting average. He is a former batting champ. They're confused, all of that. Last year, he was also in a similar spot. He was good in the first half, but not that incredible MVP candidate Juan Soto. Mm -hmm. And last year, he talked about how he wanted to do the derby. Because a lot of guys say, okay, it's going to mess up my swing. Which is luckily a myth that has been pretty far debunked at this point. Mm -hmm. But he said, you know, people think that. But he said, for me, at the time last year, he said, I need to hit the ball in the air more. And he was so perceptive to know that he was hitting ground balls at the time at a career high rate. 
If you hit ground balls, you don't set yourself up for success. Hitting the ball in the air, fly balls and line drives are far better ways to be successful in baseball. And so he did the derby last year to say, let's try to hit in the air more. And he was mic'd up. There was a moment he was talking to then teammates, uh, Trey Turner and Max <laughs> Scherzer, and saying, did you see I was elevating? And it worked. He had an in- insane second half. He was basically Barry Bonds in terms of the rate at which he walked and everything else. There's only a handful of guys to have an on-base percentage as good as his in the second half since the first All-Star game. And they were Joey Votto once, Barry Bonds four times, and Ted Williams twice, and then Juan Soto. That is what he did in the second half. He also hit seven more homers in the second half in fewer games because the second half is always shorter, despite the word half. He had seven more homers. That was tied for the third largest differential between second half homers and first half homers of any Derby participant. And so it really sparked him. So when he was asked this year, hey, why are you doing the Derby? His first quote was, well, I mean, it worked last year. And I just love how aware he is of that fact. He gets that storyline. He understands all of that. So I'm expecting huge things out of him this second half. Again, we know there's a lot of noise, but we also have seen that he is fully capable of rising above all of that. Yeah, you think, uh, okay, you you don't win last year and you still do that. What the heck is going to happen if you win? And then now we're about to witness that. Um, I think it's cool. I think that it's a flip of the narrative because the narrative is always from the outside. It's going to ruin your swing. And like you said, I I know, I know there's not really correlation there, but every team still sort of has that because I know because I cover the guardians, I heard Terry Francona say this. He said that we asked him one of the first questions that you ask any manager whenever their players choosing to compete in the home run derby is if they're nervous about that, if they think that they should do that. Um, Tito's first thing he said was, yeah, we were nervous at first, but then we realized, wait a second, we get to watch this talent every single day and he's good enough and great enough that the world sort of needs to see that and we need to share that. So it doesn't matter what we think and we're going to support him through it. But the narrative is still, uh-oh. Let's not do it. Let's hold back. Let's make sure that we uh, don't put him in a situation where he's going to do anything wrong. Well, Juan Soto's here to prove, no, that can be a that can be a little spark plug going into a, a second half of a season. So I think that's really cool. I think it's really neat to flip the script. Um, and I think it should be a, a, a lot of fun to see how he can get better because 160 OPS plus is pretty darn good for a bad first half. Um so yeah, I think it should be it should be really really interesting to see how he goes from or how he does from this moment on. And I hope other players pay attention to your point. I hope other players see, hey, he had an amazing second half last year. He did this, came back, won it. He's going to have another great second half. Hey, maybe I should do the derby because the derby is just such a great stage for these guys mm-hmm. and i would love to see more guys putting their name in the hat it's always fun to have the returners but it's also fun to see a guy do it for the first time yeah and we have so much more about the all-star break 
to talk about. We can peel back the curtain a little bit more. We have some behind the scenes of Derby Day. We have behind the scenes of the All-Star Game. We were there for both. Cannot wait to get into our personal experiences and what it was like to be there. So we'll take a quick break right now. When we get back, we'll get into all of that fun stuff. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian Speed reporter for MLB.com and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com. We are so excited to continue to talk about the Derby, to, to continue to talk about the All-Star Game. Um, it was, I think it was such a great venue. I know that... Uh, L.A. has the ties of traffic and people and all these things that can make it a little bit more of a headache. But it truly was a cool atmosphere to sit down, watch a game at a legendary park, be able to sit down, watch the Home Run Derby at a legendary park. It was so enjoyable to be able to do that. I know... Um, I was up in the auxiliary press box both nights, which was up in the left field corner, high up, but it was a really cool bird's eye view. You were able to really take in everything. You had a cooler vantage point than I did on the Derby. You were down on the field, um, and I don't know if you could really be cooler than sitting beside all of the families and all the little kids running around and seeing from the front row all of that action take place. What are some of the highlights for you of Derby Night? Oh my gosh. I mean, everything. But as you mentioned, down on the field, being next to the NL side, we had all of the families over there. I love that the families come and watch the Derby. You know, usually they're there for the first round, maybe the second round, and then it's bedtime for some of the little yes. kids. But I did feel like some more stuck around this year. Maybe it was the time difference. It probably was, was earlier, all of that. But it's just great to see little moments. Like Jock Peterson, who used to be on the Dodgers, bringing his daughter and his son over to Clayton Kershaw. Mm-hmm. And his children, his three children, saying, hey, let's go say hi to Callie and everybody and Charlie. And it's just fun to see those moments because we all know these guys are incredible talents. They're baseball players. They're incredible athletes. But they're also people. And it's really fun at the All-Star Game to see how they interact and who sort of gravitates towards who. One thing that I kept noticing was Starling Marte kept going over to help Juan Soto during the timeouts and everything. (laughs) There was no other Nationals player. You know, usually it's kind of the guys on your team. And I like that Marte sort of took on that role. They have a friendship. That was really fun to see. 
Another thing with Marte, I remember seeing his children go up to Albert Pools and ask for autographs on a baseball. Oh. There was a lot of that. Of course, you know, last year I had the same vantage point and the go-to was Otani. We were on the AL side. Everyone kept going up to show Otani. They needed a photo. They needed whatever. This year it was Albert kind of in his last year. Maybe on the AL side it was Miggy. I couldn't see over there. But just seeing the way these individuals interact really means a lot to me. To see that it's not just about the sport. That this does forge friendships, relationships between all of these guys. And I mean from a actual sort of baseball standpoint... Being on the field as these home runs are hit, I mean, I find myself peering out, trying to figure <laughs> out where they're landing. I probably only saw about half of them land, and of course I'm in my computer researching and everything, but I, I thought it would be fun for us to share with, you know, listeners the way that we see the game or the way we see the event in the moment. Yeah, I mean, clearly as we just learned it Sarah had the best vantage point possible so I can't really match that but I can I think it was neat because I was in a section the auxiliary press box is just the overflow press box because there's so much media who come out for these types of events and they cannot house them all in the main press boxes every single year no matter what ballpark so they find a different area in the stadium to set everyone else up who would be uh, there to cover the game, there to cover the derby. This time it was out high up in left field, took over a full section. Um, there was actually three sections that it took over. Um, and it was a neat setup because it was cool to be in with the crowd. You sort of got like a good pulse of what everybody was feeling in those moments, the way that the crowd embraced Julio in those first two rounds, um, the way that Everyone was sort of backing Albert Pujols, no matter uh, if he was the lowest man on the totem pole going into that or what. It was really, really cool to see the crowd get super into it whenever he uh, ended up tying Schwarber in that first round. And then they had to keep going and have a little bit of extra innings in home run derby style. So that was uh, that was really fun. And whenever Pujols was the one who pulled that out, um, the crowd went crazy. And that was so cool. And we should mention that amazing moment when all of the players came out of their sides to go mob him. The thing I loved most about that was that that happened at the break before the extra 30 seconds. Right. And then he still had more to hit. And then he ended up advancing. So it was supposed to be like a send-off, except he wasn't done. And I remember Buster Olney reported on the broadcast. He was talking... He was right near Paul Goldschmidt, and he asked him if that was planned, and apparently it was just kind of organic. Like, a couple guys went over, okay, let's mob him, and then everyone started going. So I love that. It's not like they had some big MLB All-Star group text without Albert saying, hey, we're going to do this. It was just, hey, you know what, this is the moment. Let's go give him his due. And then he ended up hitting another, what, two, three times? Two times, yeah. So funny. And you think of it of who's there right now. And 
everyone who's there, I know I keep talking about it, seems strange because this is like an end of an era because he's like the last huge name of my childhood. And I'm 26. I'm the same age as so many of these guys. And there's so many younger now. So um, it's it's hard to believe because you know he's going to be the staple of so many of their childhoods. And so for all of them to be here in this moment, I feel like it meant just as much to them as it did to Pujols for that moment because they were able to be beside this legend who all of them would have seen growing up um, and watched and aspired to be some of those years. You look at his baseball reference pages. My gosh, it just sort of makes you sick to your stomach of all the ridiculous numbers that he has. Um, in my spare time, I actually like looking that up and just looking through them and just being amazed at everything um, that he accomplished. So I think that was really special to see how much it meant to the younger generation. Um, I know that just because I'm trying to keep an eye on Guardians players to, to ever see moments where I could write about specifically for the team I cover. I noticed that Emmanuel Classe was the one guy who, in that little scrum around Pujols, was trying to get to him. And he was sort of blocked. And he just kept, you could see how badly he wanted to be able to have that moment. And he was the final man to get in there, but he was not leaving until he got that moment. Because, I mean, you have to think about what it means to these guys as much as it does mean to Pujols. I loved it. The crowd went crazy. It was impossible not to have goosebumps during it. So, uh, I mean... I, if you have anything else to add to the Derby, feel free. We can s- transition into the All-Star game if you don't have anything else. Yeah. Okay. Let's go for it. I mean, this one was a little different. You weren't working. So yeah. we got to enjoy this together, which was fun. We got to sit back and we could just sort of take this game in, which was really, really neat. We were back up in the Oxbox, up out in uh, left field. So you had a little bit of a different perspective this time. Um But my gosh, from the beginning of the game, um, with just starting with the flyover, because if you know me, you know I love a good flyover, and I love a baseball sky, and I got them both. Um, So check and check. Uh, But then we, just from that to all through the game, you have the stand-up to cancer moment, which is incredible every single year. That never disappoints. You have the crowd choosing to cheer for some, boo for others. We were expecting most of the reactions, but then there were some where we looked at each other like, huh, that sort of was surprising. Like Jock Peterson getting more cheers. I was thrilled to see that. You know, he was such a fun player for the Dodgers, and here he is representing the Giants. So I was curious what was going to happen. Carlos Rodon, who is a giant, I mean, he's been a giant for a year, but in their mind, a giant through and through, did get booed in the intros. But Jock got cheers as he was announced for the starting lineup, which was good to see. I like that. But it was such a fun, uh, fun vantage point. And you mentioned I wasn't working, but if you check my Twitter feed, I may have been working a little bit. Yeah, when I say you're not working, I mean like... Maybe you're not, you don't have an employer telling you that you're on the clock. That's what the definition of Sarah not working is, is if she's technically being told that she's on the clock. Because otherwise, she's always working, no matter where we are. Well, we had so many fun things that I looked up on my phone during those moments. 
that Giancarlo Stanton run, 457 feet, 111.7 miles an hour off the bat. It was the second farthest and the overall hardest hit home run in any uh, all-star game, tracked by StatCast, which goes back to 2015. We had a really fun vantage point for all of the homers. Stanton, Buxton, Goldschmidt, Mm -hmm. we saw each of them land. And, I mean, this should resonate a lot with our listeners because normally we're in a normal press box, so we don't have that same arcing viewpoint of, oh, it just landed right there. But we were kind of just in the stands. I've sat in seats like that in the ballpark as a fan. So it was very cool to see those homers land, see the fans going crazy. And those were some shots. So that was really cool. Yeah, I mean, if I'm thinking back on the highlights for me of that whole entire event, there's thousands, I swear, that pop into my head right now. But um, there was, you start thinking back, the game starts off with Andre Semenos flipping behind the back. You think of like, other sports. You think of like the NBA where they have really ridiculous plays where no one's playing defense. They're all just trying to show off what they can do. Things that they wouldn't do in a regular game. Yes. And that sort of gave me that feel. This game isn't a legit game. It's an exhibition game. Have fun. Show off your weird skills that you wouldn't usually do in a game. Um, and that's what I loved about that. It was really, really neat. It was fun. It was impressive. Um, and all those things. And the way that the guys just laugh and smile after they do those things is is so fun. And I think going into that, it's like Juan Soto staring down the pitcher. Um, who, I don't even remember who was on the mound right now. Who I was think it? it was Framber. It was. It, it was Framber. And so he just stares him down whenever he can know gets a little bit too close for comfort there in his ba- in the batter's box and jokingly steps out in front and stares him down both of them are busting up laughing whenever he does that that is so much fun I think that was hilarious whenever that happened every mic'd up moment is incredible yes. we didn't get to see that live because we were actually there but because we were in the press box there's tvs all over for to help people really not miss anything whenever they're doing the coverage of this and we could catch one tv from our angle uh and we could always see oh look look this guy's on uh this guy's mic'd up right now and we could see oh aaron judge and john stanton are at the same time that's probably really fun to listen to oh look julio's on he's gonna be hilarious to go back and listen to and um it was really really fun to be able to see all of those moments we're still catching up on making sure yes. we see all the highlights of that yes. all of the best clips of the night from all of the mic'd up moments this is what baseball needs yes i mean i know people have different opinions about mic'd up during regular season games i am fully on board as mm-hmm. long as the players are agreeing which obviously they are mm-hmm. i think it's wonderful but regardless everyone can agree on the all-star game and when we got back to the hotel i did go back and watch every clip that at least adam lb had tweeted out And one thing that really stood out was Alec Manoa got his moment on the national stage. Mm -hmm. You know, I got a text from uh, one of our colleagues, one of my good friends, Jason Bernard, who works on our StatCast data and does a great job uh, at MLB.com. And he texted me, I guess, in the inning that Manoa was pitching. And he's a Blue Jays fan. He said, it's so great seeing people fall in love with him. And people really did. You know, you mentioned 
Soto doing the stare down. There was a moment where Acuna, while facing Manoa, did a little bit of a Soto shuffle <laughs> after a pitch. And Manoa goes, don't Soto me. <laughs> was incredible. And uh, I believe he had three strikeouts and going off the mound, he goes, three punchies, let's go. <laughs> it was really fun. He was chatting with John Smoltz in the booth, asking him, hey, what should I throw here? I mean, this is the sport. And this just shows people that as serious as these guys are day yes. to day, they're trying to win a World Series. That is the ultimate goal. Again, as I mentioned before, the Derby, they're people. They're mm -hmm. just having fun. They're playing a kid's game. They know how lucky they are to be doing that. And they're just out there having fun. So we highly encourage everyone to go mm -hmm. check out all the mic'd up stuff and tweet it at us because we might have missed it. Yes, please. Honestly. Yes. I mean, so many great moments we know. Because everyone was all in on them, but we didn't even nearly catch up yet. No, we did not. So please, if you see anything that you thought was one of the highlights of the night for you, send it to at MandyBell02, at Slangs on Sports. I think we will thoroughly enjoy this. We haven't left L.A. yet. We're going to have a long trek cross-country. Um, we'd love to have some time to kill with some tweets. So uh, we're really, really it just could not have enjoyed this more um, being out here. This is exactly what baseball needs every single year. Like you said, getting to see the human side of these guys is what really can draw people in. They're not just these, I mean, they are larger than life athletes, but they also have like an actual human inside of them. And these personalities allow us to see that. Um, I know there are so many different moments for us. We're going to try to do our weekly segment of baseball being the best thing and trying to figure out what our highlight of the week was that we found on social media on or off the field. Goodness, I need to take a second to even think about it myself because I have too many going through my head. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll try to pick one moment that was our favorite from the week. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with Mandy Bell. That's me, Guardians beat reporter for MLB.com. And she's Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com. And now we're going to try to get into our weekly segment of picking the highlight of the week for us that we found on social media, whether it be on or off the field. It's just something that we thought was worthy of freaking out over Um not to be dramatic, but we freak out about everything, so that's very difficult. Um, something that we sent to each other, something that was sweet whenever it's with kids, something that was exciting or funny or whatever it may be. This is the worst week to have to pick this because that was all this week has been, all of these types of moments. Yeah, I mean, if I could pick All-Star Week, I would. 
That yeah, would be my moment. I'm not letting you do that, even though I think you're already going to pick more than one anyway and not follow the rules. <laughs> okay, I don't know what you're going to say. I might say yeah. the same thing as you. Um, I, that would be really, really slim odds because there's so many things to shuffle through. But what are your two moments, I guess, if I'm letting you bend the rules? All right, so the first one was Mookie Betts at mm-hmm. the beginning of the All-Star game. Mm-hmm. All the players came out of the dugouts, and they gave Mookie the mic, and he went through a speech that was not rehearsed. He kind of, you know, paused with his words. It was very human. And the point was to wish Rachel Robinson a happy 100th birthday. Incredible. He asked the entire crowd and the fans at home, to say, happy birthday, Rachel, and everybody said it. It was such an amazing moment, and I'm sure that if the All-Star Game had been elsewhere this year, there still would have been a tribute to her, Mm -hmm. you know, um, being Jackie Robinson's wife, all of that. But the fact that this was at Dodger Stadium, Mm -hmm. so very cool just for all of that to come together. And it was a really cool moment, and it was sort of... You know, they start coming out of the dugout, and I said to you, what are they doing? Because we've both been to All-Star Game. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen that happen. Mm-mm. In that moment, I was very confused. They give Mookie the mic, and it was awesome. He was the perfect voice to be doing it. I love that. I have another one that's a little more lighthearted as well, and I can't not say it. One of the mic'd up clips that I did get to see was Liam Hendricks, after he finished his inning, he really wanted the baseball. It was hit to Julio. Julio was mic'd up. They were both mic'd up. The final out of the inning is a fly ball to Julio, and he turns around like he's going to throw it to the crowd because Julio was chatting up the crowd the entire night. And (laughs) Liam goes, no, no, Julio, Julio, I want that ball. And then he ended up squatting down and catching it like a catcher when Julio finally heard him and brought it in. I just love that moment. I love that Liam wanted the ball, too. So badly. So cool. It was so funny, though. I mean, you couldn't do it justice of how badly he was screaming for Julio. It was hilarious. And Julio knew it. He started messing with him, and he was just, like, putting his hand up to his ear, like, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. What are you saying? Oh, should I throw this over the fence? It was very funny. Um, So I agree. That's a good one. And the idea that he couldn't hear him when they were both mic'd up (laughs) is even funnier because even if he couldn't hear him over the roar of the crowd, they literally had a thing called an IFB in their ear where they could hear each other. Yeah, he knew exactly. even better. Exactly. Um, Mine is going to be, of course, child-related because uh, nothing tugs at my heartstrings more than children. Um, You actually sent this to me last night. You actually sent this to me (laughs) last night, and it was Mike Trout's kid, and I think Clayton Kershaw. Or, no, he was in the beginning. Uh, yes, Clayton Kershaw was there, Garrett Cole's kid right beside, um, the two of them. Oh my gosh. They were trying to get them to be like teammates in a way. You go up and you give the high five, you give the fist bump, you just keep moving. And you could tell at the beginning of the video that they were sort of like 
dad, what are we doing? And then all of a sudden they're on their own without their dad sitting there holding their arms up to try to make sure that they're bumping their fists together. They're on their own and then they're doing that. The video that was posted um, was so well done because they were showing different angles of them and like the clips of like six photos together of a progression of like the high five into a fist bump was so funny. The two little kids seem to be thoroughly enjoying their experience. And I think it's my favorite because you get to see the event that this is. This is not just where the best of the best come together and they play a little pickup game and they have fun. This is a whole family event for these guys. And they're able to uniquely, I guess, bring their families into it. You don't really see that as much with other sports where they're able to have their families be part of it in the moment. Um, they're all with them on the red carpet. They're all with them down on the field. You have so many little kids, like you said, running around on the field during the home run derby. Um, Acuna carried his uh, little baby out with him um, whenever they're going out and checking on different guys on timeouts. Um, you just saw so many kids. Jose Ramirez had his little girl. It was just, there's so many everywhere. And it's so sweet to be able to have them be part of this moment because they have such a long season. It's a grueling season. You have to be away from home so frequently to be able to have this moment where you have your kids there and of course them stealing the spotlight away from you because they're so so beyond adorable and they're having these little moments with their other baseball family friends um like Garrett Cole and Mike Trout were having I I mean it was so cool it was such a cool moment I by far and away my highlight I think so far from what I've seen I mean just amazing so cool to see that next generation, right? Exactly. I mean, one other thing I'll mention quickly, because it is on the topic. There was a great story in The Athletic about how uh, Freddie Freeman and Clayton Kershaw are Little League dads together. Ugh. And this was something that came out of all-star media availability. Charlie Freeman and Charlie Kershaw, the two most famous little Charlies in baseball right now, are literally teammates and it just shows you again as we've said these are real people and it's amazing so i love all-star week i'm so so grateful to have gotten to be part of another one and i'm so glad we got to do this together and we got to record this podcast together to wrap it all up yeah uh yeah i'm glad you say wrap it all up i'm cutting you off because you're gonna list 12 more moments if i don't take over right now and i'm gonna try to just end it right here um obviously we're gonna continue over the next few days as we continue to see more videos to tweet out our favorites there's not gonna be a way that we get around that so we'll be able to share it there through twitter That'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions for us at all, please leave us a rating and a review. Thank you for listening once again to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast, and we'll see you next week.